Good morning, Trinity Church. How are we doing? Having a good weekend? Who's been productive? Who's been lazy? Okay, hi, we know who you are. Excellent. Um, Todd's not here. He needed a break from us. Understandable. I mean, look at us. Um, no, he is at a men's retreat uh, where he is teaching God's Word, and uh, he'll be back with us next week. And uh, my name is Hilke. I am the family pastor, and it's my privilege to serve our families here. Certainly do not do it alone. Got a great team. We have Kim Simons working with our children, Luke with our middle school students, Jared with our college students, and uh, yeah, we have an awesome team, and it's our privilege to work together to, to serve our families, so pretty awesome. Um, also, one thing related to Todd, we have um, an ordination service planned for him on the 9th. And part of taking the job here as lead pastor, uh, the, the church, the elders, asked that he would be ordained through our denomination, the Evangelical Free Church of America. He has completed that process. And um, so, yeah, that's a good thing. So we will recognize that with some of our denominational peoples um, on the 9th, 445, and you're encouraged to be there. So that's all good. Before we dive into the message, a little disclaimer here, it's going to be terrible. No, just kidding. Um, However, (laughs) the message will be somewhat PG-13, so just if you have some little ears nearby, um, just want to throw that out there, otherwise you may have like, mommy, what does this mean? And... There you go. So we are talking about families, and um, I don't know if, if anyone for Christmas got one of those like DNA tests or like family tree thingies, like um, where you can kind of discover your your ancestry, your linkage. And uh, ancestry.com is a big one. Apparently, 20 million members have connected to a deeper family story. So um, that's pretty cool, I suppose. There's 23andMe, kind of a DNA. Very simple process. One, order. Two, spit. Three, discover. I mean, that sounds like a a pretty simple process. Something I could do, order, spit, discover. Sounds pretty awesome way to give someone you don't know your DNA. That sounds like a great idea. Um, (laughs) Anyone done that? No offense. (laughs) So my brother did this. And I, I imagine my DNA is fairly similar, so um, I'm a little worried about this now. But he did this, he got it for Christmas, one of those DNA thingies, and uh, 23andMe. So he kind of showed me some of the printouts of, of our family. Uh, if you um, do not know me, I am Dutch. I like to talk about it often. You're like, we know. Um, but yes, I am Dutch, if I haven't mentioned that before. And grew up in Holland. I was born there. I actually moved to this country when I was 13. And um, so I'm a Dutchie. And this, this 23andMe revealed that we've got some linkage to other places too. It was kind of fascinating, kind of interesting. Got some uh, linkage going to France, which is pretty cool. And Germany and um, British too. I was like, okay, this is... This is good. Maybe I should start drinking some tea. Um, but it was, it was kind of fascinating, though, I, I, to, to see where, where those family roots come from and, and how we're connected. And at um, the same time, they could basically say anything on those papers and who would question it, right? So uh, assuming it is all correct, it is interesting. So today, we want to continue our series um, about who we are who we are as a church, who we are as a church family. And uh, this morning we want to talk about our core value that God loves your family and so do we. 
God loves your family, and so do we. It's an important value for us. A lot of ministry happens because of this value. And, um, but families, like, what does that mean? Like, God loves your family. And, and families take on so many different shapes and sizes. We've got uh, families that uh, consist of, you know, mom, dad, 2.5 kids, and possibly a dog. And we believe that God loves those families, and so do we. We have families that are, are grandparents raising kids. I talked to a, a grandpa after the service, and he was so thankful uh, that, that we would even consider, you know, mention that as well. We've got grandparents um, who, you know, obviously kids are grown. they got grandparents invested in leaving a, le- a legacy, and figuring out what that means. We, we've got single parents. We've got blended families. We've got, you name it, we've got it. And even, I want to add, this is actually really important, we even view singles through this lens of family. And, and it's really important that we do, and I hope you do too, because it's biblical. And we find, and we hope that this community, are, even our, our singles, this is family. And what do you know that the primary image that the Bible talks about as, as it relates to church, this community is what? Family. Family. So God loves your family and all expressions of it. So can I introduce you to some of our church family? Let's take a look. Got some pictures for you. This is uh, Judson and Katie Hardy. They're some of our friends and known them for about 13 years and actually did their wedding. And um, looks like that worked out because they got two kids now. And um, just wonderful family that they served with me in, in middle school ministry for like 10 years. And, and, and God is doing just some wonderful things in their family. So when you see them later today, would you just say hi because they're really cool people. Here's another family. This is Scott and Mindy Sames and Monty. Don't forget Monty. A very important part of this family. Um, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful people. And... Um, they do not have any, you know, children of their own. Uh, but then this is really cool. Mindy serves as a rave mom. And what that means is she is involved in rescuing girls when they're extremely, extremely vulnerable uh, in some very uh, just dire situations. And she, she gets to be a part of that. Isn't that cool? So when you see them next, would you say hello? Here's another picture. Oh, yeah, these people are wonderful too. I only chose wonderful people, by the way. Um, just kidding, just kidding. Um, this is Joseph and Vicky Manyal, and have gotten to know them over the past couple of years. They, uh, we were part of the same home group for a few years, and they're, they're from Kenya, and they just added such dimension and depth and diversity. It was, it was amazing. So if you see them at church, make sure you say hi to those people. Get to know them if you don't already. They're awesome. We're so glad they're part of our family. Hey, who else do we got? Okay, this is Diane Kuehl in, in the green, and, and, and uh, she's single, and this is her family, and the ladies right there, she loves those ladies, and those ladies love her. This is their family. That is the body of Christ. That is her, that is, that is family to her, and, and so many more. She could have sent many more pictures. Um, so when you see Diane, what are you going to do? Say hi. Introduce yourself. She's great. Another picture. Okay, we know these guys. They shake your hand on the way out. Actually, that's actually for our first service people. If you come to first service, you'll probably shake their hand. It's the Tolericos. Uh, not only will they shake your hand if you're lucky enough, Frank might even hit you with those, one of those Italian kisses. You're like, oh, what just happened? You're like, oh, it's Frank. You know, that, that's, it's one of those. We're so grateful for them. I talked to them after this service. They're amazing people. When you see them next, say hi. Here's another one. It's the Masons. That looks like a large family because... 
It is. Um, they have 13 children. However, if you were to count that picture, <laughs> you only count 12. And um, that, that's about the best they can do, Jill said, because uh, they've got one that's far away right now. And um, 13 kids, blended family with adopted children, um, you know, biological children. I mean, just a wonderful, wonderful uh, mix of love and family. And they, we're, we're so grateful that they are part of our church family. And we just know that God loves families, and, and so do we. So we're, we're, we're glad you and your family are part of this church as well. We, we, we truly treasure all of you. Well, where are we going this morning? Or now what? It's in your notes. God loves your messy family. Aren't you grateful for that, by the way? God loves your messy family and is bringing about a story of redemption and transformation in you but it's in his timing, in his way, and for his purposes. That's an important truth that we're going to walk away with. So where did family come from? Well, we find family in the first pages of the Bible. We find it in Genesis, where we clearly see that, that God institutes family. He's, he's ordained it. He has designed it. And uh, the first family, Adam and Eve, and um, even a very broken family there too. Well, well, you can see clearly within the first pages of Scripture. But God has, has been using families for all of history. And He's continuing to use families to accomplish His purposes you know, in His way, in His timing. And He's not done yet. So I want to talk about the family tree of Jesus. I thought it'd be kind of cool to, to look at his family tree and see how God's been working in and through that family tree. Very imperfect families. Very imperfect. That's lots of pain, brokenness, hurt, deception, just really bad. But God is working a story of transformation, of redemption, that will lead us all the way to the Messiah. So we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus. When's the last time you heard of genealogy in church, right? Uh, but we're going to do it. Gene genealogy, Matthew chapter 1. Uh, you can turn there in your Bibles. And um, if you're looking for baby names, <laughs> jackpot. Yeah, we're good. I mean, if there's some really nice exotic names in the middle there. You'll, you'll, you'll like some of those. So especially unique names are all the rage, you know? So we got you covered. First one, shall we? This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Let's pause right there. So this is the family tree of Jesus. This will show us Jesus' history, his lineage, his pedigree. What kind of stock does the Messiah come from? That's what Matthew is going to present to his audience. And the Messiah... He is the figure. He is the promised savior of the world. Promised over thousands of years, thousands of years before he would ever show up. Even in Genesis chapter 3, we see the earliest promises of this Messiah that he would come. And this is his family story. And Jesus is the fulfillment of all of salvation history and all of God's promises of the Messiah. And we see that these promises are, are through Abraham. And we're going to look at, at the Abraham story uh, in just a few minutes. But we see that a, through, the, through Abraham, all the nations would be blessed. And that includes us here this morning. 
And it's the son of David that he would come in, 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 in the line of David. God made an incredible promise to David of a forever king. And that king would be the Messiah, Jesus. So in verse 2, we see Abraham was the father of Isaac. See, Abraham is the beginning of this family tree. Abraham marks the start of this journey. It will take lots of twists and turns. But it really starts in Genesis chapter 12, and I'd love for you to turn there if you would. Genesis chapter 12, if you have an analog Bible, make sure you keep your finger in like Matthew as well. Um, But Genesis chapter 12, we'll, we'll look at that in just a moment where we find that God calls Abraham. He starts speaking to Abraham in some really unique and special ways. Um, So let's start verse 1, chapter 12. The Lord has said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Let's pause right there. These are incredible words of promise. But how in the world is this going to happen? All the nations will be blessed through you. I will make you into a great nation. But he's got no kids. And he's how old? 75. Hmm. Well, the fact is, Abraham struggled to believe this promise at times. He struggled to believe this promise at times and, and needed frequent reminders that God was working a story through his family. In Genesis 15, we have one of those reminders as as God seals this promise with uh, with a covenant, an agreement between he and Abraham. um, And it says that, that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, as rightness before God on account on one simple thing, and that is faith which is how all of us are made right before God. Genesis 15 sounds pretty good. But after chapter 15, we get to chapter 16. I love the participation, guys. That's strong. Um, Genesis chapter 16. We have Abraham and Sarah, and they're wondering, God, when is this promise going to come? It's taking so long. God, when are you going to do this? You said you would, you would give us offspring and then build a nation, but we, we got nothing and we're not getting any younger. So Sarah says to Abraham, why don't you take my servant girl, Hagar, and sleep with her and see if God would raise up offspring through her? And Abraham's like, no, that sounds like a good idea. Um, but that, that, that is what happened. Abraham slept with Hagar, she becomes pregnant, and she has a son, and his name is Ishmael. And God says, he's not it. He's not it. He's not how how I will 
raise up offspring from you and Sarah. Did you get Sarah? That was kind of an important part, Abraham. This act of disobedience brings about so much pain and dysfunction, even abuse towards Hagar and Ishmael. Really painful stuff, quite frankly. As I was reading this story, I love God's care and compassion for Ishmael and Hagar. It's really remarkable that, that, that Hagar would turn to God and say, thank you that you are the God who sees. In my, in, my, in my pain, you see me, God. And I believe that some of you need to hear that, that God is the God who sees. He protects them. He cares for them. This little Ishmael, God cares for him. And I, I think that just really demonstrates just the, the, the dignity, the value of, of, of this human life. Even a human life that, that wasn't, that it came out of disobedience. So with that, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for uh, all the donations that have been brought in the last two weeks towards our, our family resource center that we partner with. And there's still time to, to, to bring in more and more goods. Um, but that is a tangible display that we can live this out, the heart of God towards innocent lives. I love that, truly do. After Genesis 16, we get to 17, and God reaffirms his promise. No, Abraham, I'm still going to do this. I promise. And he gives him the sign of circumcision, that Abraham was really grateful for that. Um, and he had all of his, his household, all the males in his household, um, circumcised as a sign of the promise. God said, I will do this. And finally, in Genesis 21, Isaac is born. Isaac is born. And what an amazing gift that is. So we read, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and then Isaac was the father of Jacob. Isaac grew up. He got married. Married a gal, Rebecca. Great story of how those two got together. They have twins. Their names are? Jacob and Esau. And um, they got along great, didn't they? No. Oh, my goodness. Jacob and Esau represents just, just a nasty sibling rivalry. There was so much um, just chaos in that home. It was filled with, with just tension, strife, deception. It was ugly. It wasn't good. Um, Isaac, he favored Esau. Rebecca favored Jacob. It was, just, it was just not a good situation. Jacob, the younger son, with his mom's help, was able to trick uh, his older brother out of the, the family blessing so that the family tree, the lineage, would carry on through Jacob instead of Esau, who had already sold his birthright earlier. I mean, just dysfunction, dysfunction. So the family tree continues. It says here that Isaac was the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, and um, Jacob had a very large family. So God changed Jacob's name to Israel. So we see the nation of Israel being formed, and he had 12 sons, which became the 12 tribes of Israel. 
And that all sounds really great. You're like, oh man, God's doing good stuff. Yes, he is. And, but this family too was very broken. Jacob had multiple wives, not part of God's design. And they were sisters. That sounds like, I don't know, can't even imagine it. Um, But here we see in Genesis 34, just really ugly stuff. Jacob's daughter Dinah is raped by the pagan Shechem, who then wants to marry her. But then Simeon and Levi, Jacob's sons, respond by killing all the men of Shechem's town. Murderers. Doesn't get any better in Genesis 35. Jacob's oldest son, Reuben, can't resist his incestuous desires and sleeps with one of his father's concubines, the mother of some of his brothers. Wow. Jacob struggled as a father to give leadership to his family. He had a favorite son whose name was Joseph. Joseph. And Joseph, he loved being the favorite because it felt pretty good. He got a sweet coat. Um, and then 10, ten of uh, Jacob, uh, Joseph's brothers <laughs> decided to sell their brother into slavery. Then they lie about it for the next 22 years as God is taking Joseph on an incredible journey of pain that turns into hope, and then more pain, and then more hope and redemption. God's, in his perfect timing, elevates Joseph's status to become the second in command of the nation of Israel. And God would use him mightily, powerfully to save his family and many other lives through fa- in, in the midst of famine. So we read in Genesis 50, verse 20. You can look it up or look up on the screen. I, I love these words. They're fantastic. You intended to harm me, Joseph says to his brothers. You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives, praise God. God, Joseph had amazing perspective. God, I don't know why you have me here as a slave. God, I don't know why you have me here in prison, falsely accused. What are you doing, God? But then he, at the end, looks back. You, my brothers, intended to harm me. But God's been working all along. I love this. So in your notes, God loved this messy family and brings about an incredible story of redemption and transformation. And here's the key part. In his timing. In his timing. When Abraham and Sarah forced the timing, what happened? It, 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 it blew up. It caused so much pain. Joseph recognized and trusted God's timing. We're not 
given a whole lot of details, of, uh, I'm, but I'm sure he struggled at times to trust God. But he trusted his timing, and God did an amazing work. Next, we see something very interesting in the genealogy. So we're back in Matthew. Verse 3. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, told you to be some good baby names, whose mother was Tamar. Verse 5. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, which is Bathsheba. What do these branches of this family tree have in common? They include women. That's unthinkable, right? Crazy. Well, it really is. Because women were not even allowed to testify. They were not valued in in the Greco-Roman world, in the Jewish culture. You would not include women to to, to, bolster or, or demonstrate the pedigree of your family line. Doesn't work that way. No, you would say, oh my goodness, this Messiah comes from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And yes, I know we, we talked about some, some really shady things about all those guys, but, but they were revered as the patriarchs in the Jewish mind. But then, now we have Tamar. Do we know who Tamar is? We meet her in Genesis 38. She dressed up as a prostitute to trick Judah Judah, to sleep with her. So Judah was a son of Jacob. He was a widower who probably frequented prostitutes. Because apparently this occurred frequently enough that his daughter-in-law, Tamar, whom he had dishonored, and there's lots of complexities there, knew that if she disguised herself as one, he'd probably sleep with her. And he did. It's exactly what happened. Got her pregnant. Not a good situation. Then we meet Rahab. She didn't just dress up like one. She was a prostitute. She, was, she lived in Jericho before the walls came tumbling down. Okay. Yeah, she, 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 she lived in Jericho. But God used her mightily. God got a hold of her heart. Oh my gosh. Um, she, 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 she hid the spies, and if you're not familiar with the story, that is entirely okay. Um, but what you do need to know is this was an immoral woman, a Gentile, meaning not part of the people of God, but then if we fast forward to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 11, which we sometimes refer as like the, uh, the hall of faith. This is like faith legends, faith heroes. Whose name is in there? Rahab. God got a hold of her. It, it's amazing. Then we meet Ruth. She actually really was an awesome lady. She was a woman of great character. She's a woman who loved God. Amazing woman, absolutely. She had one big problem, though. She was a Moabite. Shocking, right? I don't know, I can't believe it. What's a Moabite? 
Well, someone that descended from Moab. Who's Moab? Oh, Moab, let me tell you, he was the son of Lot, born of an incestuous relationship with his oldest daughter. She wasn't part of the people of God. The Moabites, no, ugh. We don't like the Moabites. But God says, but I do, but I do. I like those Moabites. I'm working a story of redemption and and hope. And Bathsheba, David seduced her to commit adultery with him, led to a pregnancy, led to uh, Uriah being murdered, basically by David. Just a really painful, ugly situation. Horrible consequences to his sin. Lots of pain, lots of loss. God's at work. So we see in your notes, God loved this messy family and brings about an incredible story of redemption and transformation in his timing and in his way, in his way. Yes, using these women. No one would have thought that God could have used those women, but God says, I, my ways are not your ways. My way is to affirm these ladies, to affirm women. women to, to, my way is to restore and redeem brokenness. My way is to break down the walls of sexism, of racism. My way is to bring beauty out of ashes. My, my way is to, to bring joy out of pain. My way is to give hope to murderers like David. My way is to give hope to adulterers. Or anyone who has looked lustfully at a woman, according to Jesus. God's way is to give hope to imperfect fathers and mothers. That's his way. When, when Matthew writes this genealogy, the words are screaming of, off of the page, the Messiah has come for Everyone. He has come to restore the broken. You don't have to have it all together because no one does. I have come to save and to seek that was lost. When I think, this is, you know, we're talking in the context of a, a family or family value, and um, when I think of a family, who is trusting God to write a story of redemption in his way and in his timing. I think of my friend Ryan. My friend Ryan, he he served on my ministry team's number of years. And we've we've shared in in previous services that uh, he's battling leukemia and um, some complications related to that uh, with fungal pneumonia, and and the leukemia is actually in remission right now, which is huge praise. God's been working in this family. He has done miracles, absolute miracles. he's, He's been using doctors, and he's been using just God's power to work in incredible ways, but I'll tell you this much. There's been a lot of waiting It's been a long journey already. It was admitted in November. 
Um, I've been and visited him in the ER and then walked him up to his room you know, in, in the hospital bed, not realizing what he was looking at. Looking at. We, we had no idea it was, it was going to be okay. And it was even a miracle that, that doctors were able to remove his really bad lung on the right side. There were three spots of concern in his left one, and now it's down to two spots. And the one spot has, has shrunk as well, and, there, and we're praying that God would continue to shrink that spot of concern. God is working in his family, in Ryan's family, and it's painful. It's hard. But he's trusting. I, I, was, I visited on, um, on Thursday. He's trusting. I called him up and said, hey, you want me to bring anything? He's like, no, it's okay. Uh, I was like, how about some In-N-Out? He's like, okay, that sounds pretty good. So we had In-N-Out together, and, but, but he's, he's, he's just waiting, 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 trusting God's timing, trusting his way. And, and, and Katie Ann is just an amazing support of faith and faithfulness. God is working a story in that family. The rest of the genealogy tells a very similar story, and we will not have time to explore all that is happening there. There's lots of brokenness, lots of wayward kings, except for like just a tiny handful of good ones. But I wanted to draw your attention towards the end of this family tree. Look with me at verse 16, please. Uh, here we see that, and, and Jacob the father was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Yes, the Messiah came out of this family tree. It's hard to believe, isn't it? Really, that God would use these people. He didn't give up on them. The number 14 may have jumped out at you as we read these verses. It's kind of a cool, cool number. In the, um, in the Hebrew alphabet, there's numeric value placed on all the numbers. And when you take the numeric value of the name David, what does it add up to? 14. Uh, pretty unique what Matthew is doing here. And Matthew is just pointing everything back to this is the forever king and he is coming to reign. His purpose, incidentally, they were looking for a Messiah to, to kick out some Roman bullies. And they were bullies. They were oppressive, absolutely. But God said, that's not my purpose. My purpose is so much bigger than this. I am a, a, a king in the line of David, a forever king, a perfect king, a loving king, a compassionate king, a just king. But I've got a mission. And that is to conquer sin and death once and for all so that I could reign in the hearts of men and women who would place their faith in this king, in his loving reign. That is his purpose. So God loved, in your notes, this messy family, and it's so messy, and brings about an incredible story of redemption and transformation in his time, in his way, and for his purposes. We don't always know his purposes. We don't know why my friend Ryan is, is suffering through this. 
But God has a purpose, and He is working His purpose. Absolutely. But you might think, what about, what about my family? What about my family? So let me kind of flip it around on us then. It's our now what? God loves your messy family. And he's bringing that story of redemption. I know that he is transforming you in his time, in his way, for his purposes. But I will say, there's a huge qualifier. And we find that truth just really well expressed, communicated in Romans 8, 28. And we know, we can be confident of this, that in all things, God works for the good of those who are called according to his purpose, who love and move, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. If you are a child of God, if you have placed your faith in the loving reign of Jesus, then he tells you that you have been called by him and that you are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That God is working out everything in your life, even the messiness related to your family or whatever circumstance you find, find yourself in. He's working everything for the good, for your good. What is that good? To be conformed to the image of Jesus. In English, that means to be, to be made more like Jesus in every way. That is his greater purpose, that he's working faithfully, consistently. If you are a follower of Jesus, God is working in your family. He's working in you, in his timing, in his way, for his purposes, to make you more like Jesus, to make you a dad that's more like Jesus, to make you a mom that's more like Jesus, a grandparent that is more like Jesus, that is able to, to leave a legacy of faithfulness. Yes, he can use your painful past. Yes, he can use your painful present. He is working. Today, I want you to know, today, we want you to know that God loves your family. God loves you. And so do we. This is a family. We are a family. And we are committed to you as individuals. We're committed to you as families to come alongside, to equip, to encourage, to link arms. What does that mean? What does that look like tangibly? We have lots of programs that most of you are probably very familiar with. We, we've got lots of great stuff happening with our children's ministry. Programs for your middle schoolers, where we can just come alongside as an ally, not replace your role as the disciples of your children, but to come alongside your high schooler, your college student. We've got resources with our senior adult ministry related to grandparenting. How, how, how does one live, leave a legacy? What does that look like? Besides just programs that are ongoing. We, we have some intentional classes that we'd love for you to, to, to take a advantage of. We've got one starting up in two weeks that I'm really stoked about. Um, it's called Effective Parenting in a Defective World. It's, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful curriculum. Um, that, that's actually, uh, it's video curriculum by, by um, 
a pastor, Chip Ingram, and I really, really like him. A wonderful, godly man. And let's just get a bunch of parents in that room to be encouraged, to be pushed, to be godly parents, not perfect parents, to link arms, to, to, to ally together. Uh, I have some wonderful facilitators. They are actually perfect parents with a perfect family, so that's worked out great. I was able to find one. Absolutely not. I asked David and Kim Finley to, to facilitate this class, not because they're perfect, but they, they, they want to share what they've learned as parents. Their, their, their kids are in college, out of college, um, learn from their mistakes, to be encouraged by their successes, to be encouraged by the people sitting around your table. Because parenting is hard, isn't it? Parenting is tiring. It's exhausting. Parenting is so good. It's thrilling when you see just your, your, your son or your daughter just, just get it, and, and he's, he's displaying, you know, character of Christ. You're like, yes! And then you look back, and you're like, whoa, what happened? He's kicking his sister. Um, but it, it, is, it is a journey. It's a long journey. It, it, it's hard sometimes, but we, we want to rally together and ally well together. Uh, so check out that class two weeks from now on the 9th, uh, starting a, it's a, at the 9 o'clock hour. We have marriage enrichment classes. We did one um, just this past fall, and we'll do one again. We're probably looking at end of spring to launch another marriage class to just kind of enrich marriages that we're committed to. If, if, if we want to be uh, serious about reaching our relational world, our families are some of the most contagious things we can offer our neighbors. Not because we're perfect, because God's grace is working in and through us. For some of us, I would even say a next step could be very helpful in, in pursuing just a dialogue with maybe a counselor. I love this phrase. It's kind of funny. Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa's in your bones. <laughs> Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa is in your bones. And, um, you know, who knows how this is all connected and how our, our families of origin sh- you know, shape us and upbringing, but, but it does. And sometimes it's helpless to have a dialogue. We're like, hey, I wonder what's going on here. And so talk to any of our pastors, and we'd love to be helpful in that way and, and help you make a connection to, to people who are just trained, qualified to, to have those conversations. Perhaps the last one is the more, most important one, just to pray. Man, I, I, I hope that as you look at your family, as you look at yourself as a dad or as a mom, or as a grandparent, as an aunt, that you realize that you can't do it. You need help. It's a reminder of your dependence. God, help me. Help me catch a vision of what you're doing. Pray for your, pray for your spouse. Pray for your kids. Often. Pray big prayers. God, I pray that they would understand the, 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 the width, the height, the depth of your love at school today. Let's be people of prayer. Let's pray right now. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for working in us, for working through us. Father, we thank you for not giving up on us. 
Lord, we looked at a very messy, messy family that ultimately birthed the Messiah. You did not give up on them, and you will not give up on us. Lord, we ask you to, um, by your grace, shape us to be conformed to the image of your Son. Make us more like Jesus. Father, I pray for, for those especially that find themselves in a place of pain, in a place of darkness. Give them a vision of what it means to conform to the image of Jesus. Father, I pray that you would give them strength for the journey. That you would walk with them every step along the way. Father, we are so thankful for your love for us individually, for our families. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.